everybody, and a very warm welcome back to Ginger Joe, you lucky bastard. Now, it's been a very busy few weeks for the Ginger Gerald team, so it's great to be back in the recording studio and great to be back on the mic again. Hope you've had time to catch up on all the episodes you may have missed. Last time around, you'll remember, we talked about pets and animals in Animal Magic, remember? And who remembers the TV programme called Animal Magic, from which I took my inspiration? Can you remember the theme tune? Well, this week, we're going in a completely different direction altogether. And the theme for today, which was inspired by a specific incident that took place last week when I was attending a conference in the beautiful city of Amsterdam. Ooh, that's exciting. Do tell Ginger Gerald I can hear you all say. Well, I'll fill you in on that little one a little bit later. But today's conversation is going to be all about accidents. Now, we all know people who have a reputation for being accident-prone, don't we? It's another expression, isn't it? Accident-prone. Prone to having more accidents than the average person. I think it's just a nice, cute pseudonym, isn't it? Isn't it? For clumsy bastard, or maybe unlucky bastard, but probably more clumsy or even dozy than unfortunate. Anyway... Call them what you like. I bet you all know one or two people who are, you know, one of them. Well, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that Ginger Gerald here is rather accident prone. And I think if I'm honest, that there's definitely a smidgen of unfortune, clumsiness and downright stupidity in the mix here. But as we go through a few, you know, few anecdotes over the years, I'll let you be a judge of that, okay? Now, as a nipper, I was always having accidents. The first one I think I'd never remember was when we were playing football at junior school during morning break on the Red Ash. Do you remember playing on the Red Ash? Anyway, one particular day, We didn't have a ball, but that was really a problem as there was always a plastic bottle or a can or, as per this particular day, we found a nice round ball-like stone. So we used that instead of a football. Now, some lad kicked the stone towards me and I happened to go up in the air. So for some reason, still unbeknown to me, I decided to head it. Not necessarily the brightest idea, you might say. And I think it's fair to say at that very early stage that that my mum became acutely aware that she didn't have an intellectual genius on her hands. Or at least if she did, it certainly wasn't going to be me, son number six. Anyway, quick trip to A&E, a few little stitches and a scar on my forehead for life reminds me of that episode. And I think... That is what got me going on life's long trail of accidents. At secondary school, I remember, I knocked myself outwards by smacking my face into a wall, racing a bunch of my classmates by sliding down a hill on an icy day. Now, I can't remember if I won the race or not. I rather hope so. But my second ever competitive game of rugby at the age of 11 saw me up in A&E again where me and my mum already seemed to be on first-name terms with the staff. A broken collarbone that time around, and to this day, I still have a super slopey right shoulder. If I put a back back on, just one shoulder, 
just slides off it like butter. But so far, these are sort of standard sort of accidents, aren't it? They could genuinely have happened to anyone. They clearly weren't really my fault, were they? I just got unlucky on a couple of occasions. I wasn't doing anything stupid, was I? Unlike, maybe, these next couple of examples from my very early days, and I say very early so that you'll forgive me for being quite so dozing and just put it down to the early learning stages. Okay, here we go. Me and my brother were playing hide and seek. Nothing odd so far. So we decided to hide in a wardrobe, thinking that would be a great idea, except the wardrobe was freestanding. And as it turned out, free-falling as it fell forwards with us both inside it. So it trapped the two of us. Now, I don't know who was in the house at the time, but I know that my mum was a bit embarrassed having to knock on a bunch of neighbours' doors until she could finally find someone potentially strong enough to help her lift the wardrobe up with the two of us in it. I think we got in a little bit of trouble for that. Around the same sort of time and in the same house, we had an auger. Now, I guess most people know what an auger is, but not necessarily everyone. So if there's anyone who doesn't know, an auger is like a rage. It's a big oven that tends to have hot plates and ovens as well. Now, ours originally ran on coal and it was used for all of our cooking. It was there to heat the house and it gave us all of our hot water. So this was a great thing for a house to have. Our particular one, it had two big hot plates on the top, both of which had big metal lids on them. And it had two ovens that were hot and then one oven at the bottom just for keeping things warm. Now, in our house, the auger was very rarely turned off. Only if it was broken, which didn't happen very often, or we ran out of coal, which I'm pleased to say also didn't happen very often, or on a few special occasions, such as, and only a few times, when we all went on holiday, which we tended to do for about a year, a week or so each year, up to the late district usually. Anyway, we'd been away somewhere in the UK for a week, and we just returned home. My mum and my dad and everyone else were probably busy unpacking everything from the car, and no doubt wondering where I was and why I wasn't helping. Well, that was because I was stood in a trance, staring at the auger, wondering for some reason whether it was on or off. So to test it, I did what every bright, high potential, intelligent child might have done. I leant over the auger and I put my tongue on the metal lid covering the hot plate. Now, if the auger had been left on for the whole time we were away on holiday, then that lid would have been absolutely piping hot. If not, fine. It would just have been cold. Well, ladies and gentlemen, to my great embarrassment, to this very day, the auger had been left on and I lost a chunk of the end of my tongue and boy, did that hurt. I screamed like mad, as you can imagine. And then, as nobody had actually seen me do it, I then had to answer everyone's obvious question. What did you do, Ginger Gerald? This family story, I think it's been doing the rounds for close to 50 years now. And funny as it is, 
doesn't paint me in the best of lights, does it? By the way, it really, really hurt. So I think you've got the story a little bit now, haven't you? Ginger Gerald, accident prone, partly due to unfortunate circumstances and partly through his own clumsiness and or total stupidity. And this started fairly early on in life. Now, some people, I'd say probably most people, they grow out of this stage fairly quickly as they mature, take less risks, get a little less inquisitive maybe, generally become a bit smarter at life in general. Well, not me. Oh, no. Me and accidents, we continued our merry and well-established childhood trajectory well into adulthood, indeed, up to and including last week in Amsterdam. And when you live overseas, there are a few additional accident opportunities sometimes, too, ones that don't always crop up quite so often in old blighty. My first ever job overseas and my first ever job in the travel industry, which I've been in for 32 years now, was as a ski rep in the French Alps. Now, I absolutely loved it. It was my dream job. I didn't even know one of these jobs existed until a friend of mine, who was a travel agent at the time, suggested I apply. The mountains, the skiing, the fresh air, the fabulous food and drink, loads of socialising, a lovely team of colleagues, and the work itself was so much fun and so varied. It was me all over. And after my first ever season, which I did in the great resort of Orient, I was 100% sure that I wanted to do more ski seasons. So to do more ski seasons, I worked the summer season as a rep to ensure I could guarantee myself a second winter season placement in the Alps. Well, I was absolutely over the moon when the confirmation came through and in early December 1992, we all flown out to the sweet little French ski resort of La Clusa for our pre-season training. This was to be my second ever winter season. Now, these few days of training, they were always tremendous. You can imagine a bunch of mainly 20 or possibly 30-year-olds, many of whom already knew each other from previous seasons. All of us were full of tales of where we'd been and what we'd been up to during the summer and all, without a single exception, was just so excited to be there, to learn what new stuff we had to learn, to party like mad, and then to head off to our own resorts in time for Christmas and the ski winter season to come. For me, this pre-season warm-up was just so exciting and I was so full of enthusiasm, it was untrue. Now, it was traditional that on the last night of the pre-season training and the night before we all headed off on our own journeys to the resorts we'd been allocated, I was due to go off to La Plagne that particular season, which I was delighted about. There was always a big finale and a big party. And of course, we'd all get absolutely wasted. So I could not have been happier when the management team announced that the evening event was to be a three-legged parkour around the ski resort. Great idea, we all thought, as we put on the totally inadequate snow boots that we'd been instructed to buy that year. We found our allocated partner 
and we tied our middle legs together as tight as we could before charging off to the first bar of the night, full of anticipation and full of adrenaline. Hmm. Now, what could possibly go wrong with a three-legged bar call designed for everyone to get as drunk as could be, going in and out of a variety of bars in the snow and the ice with our legs tied together and shoes that had not the tiniest bit of grip on snow or on ice. Can you think of anything that could have go wrong? Anyway, there must have been at least 30 couples, if I remember right, maybe more than that. After the first few bars, as you can imagine, things got a little rowdy and we got a little wobbly. And not everyone found it easy to keep their feet. How we laughed out loud when me and my partner fell over, leaving one of the bars on our itinerary. And as we fell all the way down the icy entrance steps, still tied together, we knocked over another couple. And that couple also tied together. They landed right on top of us in a big pile at the bottom of the stairs. <gasps> Hilarious. Well, Hilarious until the pain kicked in, that is. And I think the smile finally disappeared off my face when the local hospital x-rayed my leg and confirmed that, yep, both of my lower leg bones had been cleanly snapped. An operation was needed to pin them back together again and, oh, you can forget about your entire winter ski season. So, my one and only serious ski accident actually had nothing to do with skiing whatsoever and took me place before I'd even put on a pair of salopettes on that year. By Christmas 1992, I was at home at my parents' house in Stoke feeling somewhat sorry for myself and with months and months of recovery still ahead of me. I understand that three-legged races got banned from rep training events from then on. Maybe that was the birth of health and safety in the workplace. Now, I reckon I got pretty unfortunate there. That wasn't me being stupid. That was just a bit of an accident. Well, I wasn't being stupid. It was that the entire event was high risk and should probably not have been planned in the first place. But why did it have to be me? Why was I the one and only injury of that night. And such a nightmare for an injury too, meaning I'd miss the entire ski season. Well, maybe that was unlucky, but the next couple of examples, maybe not so unlucky. This time they're from Cancun. So I just arrived in Cancun and I just found and signed a rental contract for the first house that we were going to live in. You've heard quite a bit about this house before on other pods. It's come up on a bunch of other episodes. But in short, it was a pretty crap house, but in a great location with a great garden and a shared pool. So I ran it was a very good shout and time was tight. So I had to confirm something or we'd have had nowhere to live. So there I was on the phone to T telling, telling her all about the new house that was about to become our new home. And I suddenly hear shouting outside and banging on the door. Who could that possibly be? I thought I knew nobody there yet at all. So I went rushing out onto the upstairs balcony to see what was going on downstairs. 
when the entire gas burner, which was already engulfed in flames, suddenly exploded right in front of me. Well, you'd have thought I might have learned my lesson, but three years later, and in a different house, but on the same complex, I went to relight a gas burner after it had gone out, only to discover that the ignition flame might have been extinguished. But that didn't mean that the gas tap was turned off. So in I went with my lighter, and this time, all of the gas just exploded in my face. My eyes turned bright red. Half of my hair was burnt and falling out onto the ground and I'd been thrown across the room, ended up about three metres away on my back. Well, apart from smelling like a charred Guy Fawkes for a few days, I got so lucky with both of those accidents. I pretty much survived injury-free. Not so much next time, though. How many of you living overseas had ceiling fans? You know, the ones like helicopter blades that just go round and round and make the air circulate so you can keep a little bit cooler without having to use the aircon all the time. Well, we had these ceiling fans in most of our rooms in House 2 in Cancun, including the bedroom. And this particular fan that I'm going to talk about It was made of metal. It was pretty big. It had three three sections to it. It was big and had three different speed settings. One Sunday morning, quite early, I got up. And I remember it really clearly as I got a tennis tournament that morning. So I needed to get straight into my tennis stuff. But for some, to this day, unknown reason, I got the urge to check to see if there was anything on top of a ledge that was above and to the side of our bed. Now, I'd never looked there before, so I really have no clue why I wanted to look or indeed what it was I was expecting to find up there early on a Sunday morning. Maybe a million dollars in used notes, I don't know. But what I do know is that something inside me obliged me to stand up on the bed just to take a quick look just in case. But I think you know what happens next. The metal ceiling fan was on and it was whirring at medium speed. Bang! The helicopter blade smacked into the back of my head so hard and it sent me and tons of blood coming out of my head flying around the room. Again, I found myself on the floor, metres away, grabbing my head and trying to stop the blood from gushing all over the place. T was just about waking up when this happened, so it was all a bit of a shock to us both, and I think her first words to me that day were, you stupid bastard. Fair enough. Anyway, a quick trip to the hospital sorted me out, a few stitches in the back of my head took care of the cut, and then a massive bandage around my head made me look like a mummy out of a cartoon. But the good news is, I shoved a cap on top of all of those bandages, made it to the tennis club, and I won the tournament that day. Now, somewhere hidden away in a box, I still have a photo to prove it. A few years later, just before we were due to leave Cancun, I had another little incident involving a scorpion, which I told you about in the last episode called Animal Magic. Now, if you've never been stung by a scorpion before, I suggest you keep it that way. 
it's really not a very pleasant pleasant experience. Oh, and depending on the scorpion and how long a wait your local hospital has, you can die. Well, I'm pleased to say that I didn't. Now, since I've been in Mallorca, which is the last nine years or so now, my accident rate finally seems to have slowed down a little bit. Maybe I'm getting luckier. Maybe I'm getting a bit smarter finally with age. Now, it's true I'm always falling over on the paddle court, which is sort of funny, but it's a bit clumsy and a bit embarrassing sometimes. But I've not really had any major accidents since I've been here. However, that brings me to last week and to the inspiration for this episode. There I was attending a travel conference in Amsterdam. I don't know how many of you go or have been to these sorts of events, you know, conferences, congresses, trade shows, that sort of thing. But irrespective of whether you like them or not, you tend to spend a lot of time inside one specific facility. So if you do get an hour or two free, it's great to get a bit of fresh air, not feel like you have to chat to someone or to network, at least for a short while. And you can go off and just see what there is to discover nearby. So on the last day of the event, I decided I'd go for a wander for an hour or so because I had a little bit of free time just to see what was outside of the conference room. I'd only got about 200 metres from the hotel I was staying in. I'd just passed the conference hall when the wind suddenly got up to hurricane force out of nowhere. Now, I thought it was a bit odd as there'd been no sign of any wind until then, as far as I knew. Anyway, in a split second, this great big metal fence, which was weighed down with concrete slabs, suddenly blew over, crashing on top of me and pinning me to the pavement like a trapped animal. My glasses went flying, my phone went flying, and there I was groaning a bit, wondering, how the hell am I going to get out of this? And have I done anything serious or not? Anyway, two guys pretty quickly appeared from, I don't know where, to be honest. I just saw their ankles coming towards me. And once they worked out how to, they just about managed to lift the fence panels off me. That's how heavy they were. And they were able to set me free. Now, it turned out that the fence was there to prevent injury as repairs were being made to the pavement behind it. A bit ironic, one might say. Anyway, I duly got up, dusted myself off a bit admired my ripped jeans, which weren't fashionably ripped, just ripped from being thrown onto the floor. And I was delighted that my gogs and my phone were okay. So I thought to myself, what were the chances of that happening? And were the chances slightly higher because it was all accident-prone Ginger Gerald who was out walking? If I'd been someone else, would that have happened? Anyway, I have a few bruises to show for it, including my ego, and I've got a bit of a sore back, but the good news is I'll live to fight another day and probably have another accident. So there we go. There's a lot of anecdotes, and I'm sure I haven't told you them all. So, guys, I've been honest with you, so now it's time for you to fess up, folks. How many of you lot are accident-prone? Best some of you have got some great and Maybe a little bit embarrassing accident story. So come on, don't keep them to yourselves. 
You'll feel so much better, I promise you, when they're out there in the public domain and you know just where that is. Visit GGYLB on Instagram or on Facebook and let's hear all about them. And if you don't mind, it'd be great to get some pictures or even some videos. Okay, folks, that's enough for today. I hope my accident stories have made you feel, well, a little bit better about yourselves, especially if you're a little bit clumsy. Have a great week, everybody. Bye now. Thank you, Ginger Gerald, for enriching our lives.